This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Good afternoon to you. I am Jason Kong and I have the pleasure of being here with Mary Lucas of Transitions Life Care. Mary, how are you doing? Doing well. I'm double boosted for COVID. Look at you. <laughs> you know, if I could be quadruple boosted, if they allowed that, I, I would be. If I could get a booster every morning, that, that would be wonderful. Yeah, you know? I, it's, it's all, I'm still in the clinical trial, so I've got to do it on their timeline and, and do everything I'm told. <laughs> but it, it's also good to know that they're still testing these and they're safe and, you know, they continue to track me through all the things. So um, it, it's good. I'm double boosted. I'm excited. Yep. Well, you know, it's, uh, we're, we've certainly made a lot of progress through the pandemic, but uh, doesn't mm-hmm. seem like this is anything that's nope. ever really just going to go away entirely. You know, we can no. still get back to our lives, but man, we should still make sure that we're safe and looking out for our fellow community members yeah. as well. Well, we're going to have a conversation today with uh, an old friend on the show. Uh, and we're going to have a conversation about how to talk about dying. And we are very pleased to welcome back, you know, he's pretty much a regular on the show right. at this point, part of the cast. He's Mark Philbrick, staff and community educator at Transitions Life Care. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. Uh, like Mary, I'm double boosted, but I just tested positive for COVID this morning. So oh, no. dodged the COVID bullets for two years and um, did some folks a favor, taking them to the airport and so on later to find out that they were infected. And so no good deed goes unpunished. So <laughs> oh man, I'm so sorry. Hold. So being double boosted, I think has reduced the, the intensity of the uh, infection. So, but I'm good to go. Good, good. Well, sorry to hear about that. We're, we're happy to have you back, but sorry that you're not feeling well. Well, that we all go through it at some time. Definitely. Well, not to, to remain on the downer subject, but there's been so much sad and tragic news over the last couple of weeks. The mass shootings, the catastrophic disasters, hurricane season started, uh, the continuing losses due to COVID. And our country just seems so fatigued in loss and collective grief. I think we're in this this new grief cycle. Grief is just all around us and, and people are, are dealing with it everywhere. And I, I don't think we've seen that level of grief and loss in our country in a, in a very long time. But Mark, you've mentioned in the past that over 3 million Americans are going to die this year, which is approximately 9,000 a day. I'm not good at math. I had that written in front of me. Uh, but that means tens of thousands of family members and friends are experiencing this loss every day. And it it's overwhelming. And, you know, it's, it's crazy because I was talking to somebody about this um, not too long ago is it, we all feel so uncomfortable about having conversations about death and dying and how do we normalize those conversations is so important to me. And I really want to thank you for agreeing to come on today's show and, and share with us some thoughts and ideas and guidelines about how to talk about dying. Uh, so can you start us off by explaining what are some of the benefits about talking about dying and also consequences of not talking about dying? Yes, thank you. I mean, it is a really challenging time in our country and no avoiding it. You know, there are 
definitely benefits and consequences of not talking about this really important topic. Um, and Shakespeare said there's never a good time to give bad news. So it is a really heavy topic. Uh, and I'd like to start off by, you know, a bad joke my daughter told me a couple of years ago. You know, and if you don't like it, you can blame my daughter. <laughs> uh, this guy is not feeling well, so he goes to his doctor and the usual routine. The doctor asks him a bunch of questions. He does a physical, pokes him here and there, and he said, you know, I really don't know what's going on. I'm going to run some lab tests, and I'll call you when I get the results. So about a week goes by. The gentleman's at work. He gets a call, and his doctor says, well, the results are back. I got some good news, and I got some bad news. And he goes, well, give me the good news first. He said, well, your results show that you have a catastrophic terminal condition, and you have 24 hours to live. The guy goes, holy crap, that's the good news. What's the bad news? Doctor says, well, I got busy. I meant to call you yesterday. So even <laughs> doctors have a hard time giving bad news. Oh, no. Um, and, you know, the point of the joke is that, unfortunately, when we don't talk about death until it's a crisis, little can be done at that point to really prepare people for what the inevitable is. You know, death is like that elephant in the middle of our room that everyone can see, but nobody wants to talk about or be the first to acknowledge it. So there are benefits to talking about it, and there are many. You know, it's really about a person's right. It, it gives people the right to be involved and participate in the decisions of what's going to happen as they approach the end of life. You know, we have the right to know the truth. We surveyed hundreds of families and patients who were near death. And 79%, four out of five, wanted to know the details of their illness. So they don't want to keep it hidden. We also know that the people have the right to complete their unfinished business, to settle whatever debts they have, whether it be financial or personal or emotional, uh, to express forgiveness and love, as we've talked about before. You know, the four things that matter most, dealing with their loved ones as to please forgive me, I forgive you, thank you, and I love you. They also have the right to share their journey with others. You know, an experience I had, I've shared before, when my dad was dying, I wrote all the questions I ever wanted to ask him, and I recorded the answers to his story. So we captured those details. And they have the right not to be alone going through this. Now, the consequences of really not talking about it, you know, being the three monkeys, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil, is that lack of openness leads to mistrust. You know, the mistrust mm -hmm. that evolves through, you know, the siblings or family members that begin blaming each other, not trusting each other, which then leads to the feelings of powerlessness. You know, letting others run the show. It's like, I don't have any idea of what I'm going to do. And also consequences of anger, all these unexpressed resentments that build up if people aren't talking about it, and the unresolved issues that evolve from not being honest and open about it. And as you mentioned, grief, complicating grief. We all, if we don't deal with this, we have that I would have, I should have, I could have, why didn't I? All the guilt that goes into you know, not resolving issues before it happens. Mm -hmm. And then, as I mentioned, the loss of family stories and history. By not acknowledging somebody is dying, putting off asking those questions and hearing their story. 
That's very interesting. Can you explain to us a little bit further, why are people so uncomfortable about discussing death and dying and and how do we begin that journey to become more comfortable addressing this such a serious and important topic? I know that it, it took me a while and, and now working in the industry, it's much easier for me, but I, it is so difficult for so many. I think there's really five keys to this as to why people don't like talking about it. First are those personal fears. You know, the fear of anything from financially, how am I going to deal with this? The emotional uh, implications of fear of what what's going to happen in the unknown. You know, and we work with the acronym FEAR, F-E-A-R, is false evidence appearing real. So all these things we build up in our head that may never be real or come to fruition. And the antidote to fear is to face everything and recover from that fear. So being open is one of the reasons we, we don't like talking about it is because we have all these fears. Mm-hmm. The second is personal and psychological makeup of an individual. You know, what is your primary response to a threat? And there's typically three, fight, flight, or freeze. You know, so two-thirds of those is running away from the problem or freezing and doing nothing about it. And being aware of your primary response to a threat like death will help you deal and navigate that. The third thing we see is family dynamics. You know, all that plays into what type of family controlling person who's the head of the family, are they avoiders and deniers? All those family dynamics will feed into our unwillingness to talk about this. The other is more broad, and that's our cultural mores or barriers that we have based on the culture that we have been raised in. You know, death is a taboo topic in many cultures. Some people believe even talking about death may initiate it. Just your words may uh, initiate it. And lastly, let's face it, it's really a difficult conversation. Like Shakespeare said, there's no good time for, to have a bad news. But there is a right time, and that's what we need to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're going to get further into that discussion. We're speaking with Mark Philbrick. Mark is the staff and community educator at Transitions Life Care, and we're going to continue our conversation here on how to talk about dying right after this. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Hey, don't forget you can learn more about Transitions Life Care and find all the many resources that they have available online by going to transitionslifecare.org, transitionslifecare.org. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas. Our guest on the line is Mark Philbrick. He's the staff and community educator at Transitions Life Care. And 
We're having the conversation, how to talk about dying. And Mary, just before the break, uh, Mark did a wonderful job discussing um, why this can be so hard Mm -hmm. and why we put it off and try to avoid these conversations. Yeah, I think there was a really good conversation about the the problems and challenges around that so many people have discussing death. Mark, can you tell us a little bit more, when is it appropriate to introduce the topic and and how do we initiate these conversations and really start talking about these these challenging moments? Um, Yeah, definitely. You know, there is really, um, as far as becoming more comfortable with it, I think there's what I call the three A's. The first A is accepting that, you know, oh, excuse me, being aware, you know, that death is near and inevitable. You know, facing the fact, acknowledging that death is coming or will come is the first step to this. The second is accepting that it's happening. And, you know, I've seen this even with hundred year old patients who are dying and the family members say they, they couldn't believe that their loved one was dying. They weren't ready for it, even though that person lived 20 years past their life expectancy, that sometimes it's just accepting the fact that this is, is real and it's happening. And the third A is action. The action of having the conversation, even though it's painful and challenging and the appropriate time, I think really the best time, There's no good time, but there is an appropriate time. The best time is before you need to have the conversation. Right now, when everyone's healthy and okay, you can start that, you know, with your family, your loved ones. Um, The way I open the conversation is, you know, I've been thinking about how someday in the future I'm going to die. And here's some of my thoughts and feelings and what I'd like to happen when that happens. The second time it's appropriate is when you or your loved one have been diagnosed with a chronic serious or terminal condition. The reality is 90% of Americans are going to die of a chronic serious or terminal condition. It rarely happens unexpectedly. And so in that case, you know, start with, I don't know. I know this isn't fun or comfortable to talk about, but it's best that we start talking about what I want and don't want before it becomes a crisis. And unfortunately, the third time it's appropriate is when it's inevitable. And there is a urgent need to have the conversation because the person has begun the dying process. It's unfortunate when it can't be avoided, but waiting to the end is not the best way to approach it. Definitely. So now we know the when and the how. Let's dive a little bit deeper in to the what of all of this and what do you say what do you not say during these conversations can you walk us through some of that sure i think first really there's three keys to really effectively communicating this information first is to listen to what other people think and feel that you're talking with empathy Uh, i mentioned our survey where we talk to people about what they fear about dying what they wanted when they die and what we found the survey, 89% said that they wanted someone to listen to them when they talked about dying instead of avoiding it. So listening is the number one most important thing you can do. Secondly is to be very clear about your own beliefs and attitudes about death and dying, because that will shape how you interact with the person you're talking to. 
And number three, your thoughts and feelings need to match up and align with what you're expressing. So not hiding your own feelings as you're expressing it to others. The first step to initiating this conversation is really determining what other person is thinking and feeling, asking directly about what they are thinking and feeling about their um, their own life and their own death, and listening without judgment or agenda, letting the person freely express themselves and let them direct the conversation and the agenda. Um, we, in, we have what we call safe questions. There are six safe questions we typically would use in initiating these conversations. First, just generally asking, what concerns you most about your illness? And the second is, how are things going for you and your family to get into the dynamics of what's going on? The third question is, as you think about your illness, what's the best and worst thing that can happen? So getting an idea of what what's going on in their mind, the best and worst thing. And then asking, what's been the most difficult thing about your illness? which leads into what are your hopes and expectations and your fears as you begin to live with this disease. So getting to some of the broader um, fears, hopes, and expectations. And the sixth question we ask is, as you think about your future, what matters most to you? And there's two other questions that I think are relevant. Um, One is, what's most important to you right now as they're thinking about this? And our doctors, I've heard, initiate questions when they're working in palliative care consults with patients. They ask, what would be worse than death for you? You know, we assume that sometimes death is the worst thing that can happen to us. But when I hear answers to these questions, things come up like the worst thing that could happen is that I'd be a burden to my family or the worst thing that happened would I die alone. And some of the not to say, there's several. One is don't lie or minimize the concern that the other person, you know, many of us react when we hear somebody talking about their death is saying, Oh, don't talk about that. You're okay. It's not, you know, it's going to happen a long time from now. Don't minimize when people want to talk about it mm-hmm. and don't change the subject. If they want to talk about it, you know, many people who are dying know that they're in the dying process and they want to talk about it. So not to block them when they try to talk about it. Another is don't give advice, you know, ask what they want to do. Don't initiate the conversation with telling them what you would do. And then don't force your beliefs on them. Being aware of your own beliefs is important, but everybody has their own beliefs. That's really relevant. I I was thinking a lot about the the physician conversation piece that you brought up and and it, it sparked the question for me of how do you bring up death with your physician if you're in a place where you've gotten you know a, a terminal diagnosis or it's something that that could be possible it, you know a lot of physicians have trouble talking about that with patients and and with the people that they're caring for are there things that you should do to bring up that conversation to get the truth and to to have a real picture of what's going on I think that's a really good point you know, 80, over 80% of people say they want to know the details about their illness. So being very open with your physician and saying, you know, whether it's good or bad, I want to know the details. And I want to know what's coming next. I don't want to be kept in the dark. And I would ask that you be honest 
with what my condition is so that I can be best prepared for it. And it's, you know, just being as open and honest, which frees the physician to not sugarcoat things or not avoid things. Yeah, that line of being open and honest is key, but it's hard as we discussed in that last segment because our our brains really want to mm-hmm. go to that fight or flight mode. Mm-hmm. Um, but making mm-hmm. sure that you're 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 doing this with a clear mind and, and as uh, relaxed and calm way as possible, I think really goes a long way. Well, we've got more with Mark Philbrick. Mark is the staff and community educator at Transitions Life Care, and we're having a conversation all about how to talk about dying. And we're going to continue that right after this. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas. Our guest on the line is Mark Philbrick. Mark is the staff and community educator at Transitions Life Care, and he's educating us this afternoon all about how to talk about dying and we've We've covered a lot of ground so far. Um, you know, Mary, we just kind of left off on the importance of having uh, an open and honest line of communication. Yes, I think that that's, that's super important. I want to dive into that a little bit more. Mark, what about people or family members or friends who want to withhold the truth and uh, about what's going on and, and really kind of avoid the situation and make believe everything is going to be okay. You're fine. You mentioned that a little bit earlier in the show. I want to dive in a little more there. Are there any practical tips on navigating those challenges? Yes. I think there's a couple of things that are helpful. I I mean, realizing and acknowledging with that person who wants to withhold information that this is a difficult conversation. Um, And it's not going to be a once and done conversation that this, this could take quite a bit of time. So assuring them that, um, you know, the information is important, it's challenging and difficult, but also we know that four out of five people want to know the details. And so part of that is leading in with asking uh, the person you're talking to who is needing to have that conversation what, what they are feeling and what they want to know. How much detail do they want to know? Um, also determining really what's your obligation to that person who's requesting that you hold the truth. I mean, is this the spouse of the person? What's the relationship to the person that you're talking to? Um, and how important it is, are they power of attorney? You know, what's their role here? And also reminding that person requesting to withhold information, the consequences of not telling the truth that we spoke about. Um, and really inform that requester that it's your obligation to tell the truth in a compassionate way, if at all possible. You know, asking up front what details that person wants to know about their condition. And, um, you know, a practical tip 
in any communication is say what you mean, mean what you say, and don't be mean in how you say it. I think uh, letting that person that wants to withhold the information know how important it is that by withholding, you're causing consequences that downstream they're very difficult to re, you know, recoup on. Uh, it's not unusual for us to, to walk. We've literally walked into going into a home to talk about hospice with a, with a person who is terminally ill. And one of the, the daughters of the son stops you at the door and they say, hey, I don't want my mom to know that she's dying. And then when you're having a conversation with that person who's the patient, uh, when the daughter walks out of the room, the mother will say, hey, I don't want my daughter to know that I'm dying. So the conspiracy of silence um, continues to complicate things. It's very interesting. And, you know, it reminds me of, I don't know, if did you ever see the movie The Farewell? No, it was a, it was a, it came out a couple years ago, and it was a Sundance film, and it was about a family who lied to their grandmother about their cancer, about her cancer diagnosis, and and they were the ones that the physician told um, she she didn't speak English, and they went to the physician, and the physician told them she she was dying, and they they told her that she was fine, um, and mm. and so that she would live her life more fully in in the time that she had left, but it made me mm. think of that, and and also the cultural differences in talking about how um, different cultures talk about death. There is definitely a variance there too, is, isn't there? Absolutely. Yeah. There are some cultures that are very, um, structured as to who is the person in charge of those communications Mm -hmm. and, uh, they defer to that person. So it's not unusual to run into those situations. And so having cultural competence and asking questions about their, cultural influence is really important. Mm-hmm. Well, we really appreciate these insights and to this timely and challenging topic. Topic: Are there other final thoughts or, or recommendations that you can share as you bring this to a close? Just a few. You know, that just acknowledging these are really difficult and hard conversations to have. And knowing your own personal thoughts and feelings first before you initiate a conversation with others. Uh, Using those safe questions as a starting point, I think, is really important. And one of the most important keys to all of this is listen, 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 without judgment or your agenda, to really try to empathetically listen to what that person has to say. And then to honor their wishes, whether they're your wishes or not. I think that's the key. Absolutely. I th- you know, it's something that I've been learning to do and, and that with the help of my grandfather, it's gotten a little bit easier. It's it's interesting to watch his evolution about talking about death and dying. And, you know, he's 96 years old, but he also watched my grandmother at our hospice home when she passed. And, is, and I think it made him more comfortable in talking and opening up. He wasn't always a, someone who, who talked a lot about these kinds of things. And I think it be, those experiences and having an experience like that makes, I I think, everybody a little bit more comfortable, even though it's such an awful and and tough topic. But he was very organized when when she passed. And and, um, I think that it's it's opened up a lot of uh, communication since then uh, about what he wants and about um, and about all of his feelings around it as well. So I think those experiences also really help you. you know, become more comfortable in talking about it. At least it did for myself and my family, my dad and his brothers as well. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, my dad, a week before he died, woke up one morning and says, you know, Mark, if I knew this dying thing was going to be this tough, I'm not sure I would have signed up for it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's not an easy conversation, but the blessing in that is uh, my brothers and my children were all there for his last breath Mm -hmm. and saw how, with the help of hospice, this could be done with a grace and dignity and pain-free and now my children have no fear of death. We talk openly about it. And so I think, like you say, the more you're exposed to it, the more comfortable you can become with it, mm-hmm. uh, even though it's challenging. You know, it's a, a probably not the right comparison to make, but in my mind, I feel like it's it's almost like asking a person out. Like you, <laughs> you kind of got to psych yourself up for it a little bit, but hey, the more you do it, the more comfortable you, you become with it. And you realize that it's it really is just a conversation, and at the end of it, you usually you, you found a, a nice ground there. Absolutely. You know, it, people aren't alone. I ju- while we were sitting here, I just got an email from somebody out in the community who said that their loved one is has dementia, and the doctor's not giving them much information as far as their timeline, and. And in this exact email, it says, we're wondering when it makes sense to begin conversations. Any advice you can provide is appreciated. So just anyone listening, you're not alone. And this is such a hard thing to talk about. And Mark, we really appreciate you coming on to to help us have these conversations and make it easier for everybody. You're welcome. And definitely the sooner the better with the conversation. Mm-hmm. Don't put it off. Don't wait. That's always good advice for a lot of things in life, especially when it comes to uh, important items like a conversation like this. So, Mark, thank you as always for your time. You're such an invaluable resource to us here on the show. He is Mark Philbrick, staff and community educator at Transitions Life Care. Mark, uh, can't thank you enough again for coming on the show. You're welcome. My pleasure. Well, we are going to take a quick break here. Don't forget that you can go to transitionslifecare.org if you want to find more information. Uh, There's a resources tab there that has blogs about uh, many of the things that we've Mm -hmm. been talking about today. So be sure to check that out. Also, if you are looking for a career change, maybe you're in nursing or want to be part of support staff or any other part of Transitions Life Care, they're definitely looking and seeking. There's opportunities available if you click on the careers button in the top right of transitionslifecare.org. You can find plenty of information there and and they get six weeks of vacation folks transitions life care is a a cool place to work so if that's something that interests you be sure to go to transitionslifecare.org again go to the resources tab or if you're interested in finding employment opportunities click on the career button careers button as well we're going to take a quick break but we'll be right back this is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5, AM 680, WPTF, News, Talk, Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5, AM 680, WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk 
Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, and we are now pivoting to planning, which is something that we love to talk about, and we are very excited to have joining us Claren Inglebreth. She is the, a financial advisor and a mother of four. She's got her hands full. Four <laughs> boys, actually. Uh, I don't know how you do it, Claren, but thank you so much for joining us today. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. I always tell everyone, they say, well, how do you work as a financial advisor? I said, this is where I come to rest. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, so, Claren, you, your background is in the financial world from corporate loans to mortgages, and uh, you made your way back to financial advising for individuals. What made you want to move more into individual financial assistance and advising? Well, when I decided that I wanted to work in the financial industry, you know, one of the couple of things that were really important to me were to help people and to educate people. And so I found I had so much knowledge from working in different different areas of the bank, but I really wanted to be able to help people organize their money, feel good about their money, and make sure that they were making really good choices, but also informed choices, that they understood, you know, what they were doing and why that made sense them. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to get out of the corporate world and really be able to help people and make a difference. That's great. It gives me like a good feeling to know, you know, uh, financial advisors are something they'd be kind of intimidating for people. Um, And it's something that maybe comes with a um, stigma that it's only for wealthy people, um, or you need a lot of money to have a financial advisor, but that's not the case. And it's it's nice to know um, your background and um, that you're really looking out for people. Um, And that's also a question I had, is it only for wealthy people, financial advising, you know, with that stigma? Um, it kind of maybe scares some people off from consider financial advising or estate planning. Right. The industry has changed and still changing so much. And what I would say to that is, you know, I feel like, you know, when you talk about being wealthy and needing an advisor, it's something that has always seemed like, I always picture the Wizard of Oz and the wizard be- being behind the green curtain. And you know he's behind the green curtain, but you don't really know much about the wizard behind the curtain. You're afraid to ask because you feel like you should know about the wizard. <laughs> um, so anyway, I, you're right. You do not have to be wealthy. You know, everyone uses money every mm-hmm. single day. It's an exchange to buy and sell things that we need or want. So our industry has changed from being just stock pickers to really helping people holistically plan so many different things. Um, And that includes your investments, retirement, goals you want to accomplish today, the right insurance, um, helping people with estate planning and kind of all, every aspect of organizing your wealth. So you, you know, and being wealthy is subjective too, right? That's Mm -hmm. a different number for everyone. So what I find is whether people have more money than they need or not enough, they still need to get it organized and make sure they're making good choices. So I think that everyone should take the opportunity to talk with someone that is a financial advisor at some point. Mm-hmm. You know, you touched on estate planning there for a second. I want to circle back to that. Um, when should someone start estate planning? Is it ever too early to start estate planning? Uh, it's never too early. I am a uh, cancer survivor myself. Oh, wow. So when you start to think about your own mortality, you know, I'm pretty young. That could happen at any mm-hmm. age. So no, no, you can never plan too early. And honestly, estate planning is the best gift 
that you can leave your loved ones. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I not to get too personal here, but when you were diagnosed with cancer, and I'm so glad that um, you are here with us and that, that you have made it through all that. And it can, and I really admire that. And I think that that adds to your journey um, in doing what you're doing now and in the career that you're in. When you were diagnosed, did it th- kind of shift your mindset a little bit on your role um, in in your career as well and financial advising and um, and the clients that you work with? It really did, you know, um, knowing that you could not be here and that it actually could happen and that you're, you know, we all know we're not invincible, but we still kind of deep down at our core believe that we are to some extent invincible. So that completely changed my perspective that, you know, I myself at a young age need to make sure that I've got my ducks in a row and that everything that I have is organized in case I were to leave this earth and, um, so, yeah, it has changed the conversations that I have with all of my clients, no matter what their age is. Mm-hmm. So how does one get started with estate planning? What does that first step look like? Yep. So the first step would be to think about what's most important to you when you leave this world. What do you want to happen to your to your assets? What do you want to have happen to your material? your tangible things that are important to you that you want to go to specific people. So start to think about what you want to happen when you're not here anymore and how you want that to happen for your family. There's so many aspects of estate planning. It's not just, you know, I need a will and that's going to lay out who everything goes to. There's beneficiaries on accounts. There's ways to avoid certain, um, certain documentation and public documentation upon your death. And, I really think it's also important for your family to know what what do you want to happen? How do you want them to celebrate your life? You know, it, it's really not a good time for your family to be making financial decisions mm-hmm. when they're trying to decide how to honor your life. Mm, that's a good point. And, uh, you know, when you, we've touched on family here a few times, when is the appropriate time to involve your family? If, if you're anything like my family, they want to be involved in the whole thing um, from the very get-go right. <laughs> and, and also have their say in everything. Um, but when is the appropriate time to involve your family in, in the conversation and in, in this process? So, you know, for, for aging parents, it's really important that before, you know, before you can't make decisions, they need to know, you know, what's important to you. So the earlier, the better, I say with that, too. You know, with me, I've sat down and I've had a conversation with my husband, my spouse, about here's what I want. Here's what I want to happen if I'm not here. This is how it should work if I'm not here. This is who you need to talk to. And we've got it all written down. And same thing with aging parents. You need to sit down with someone that's important to you, be that a child or a another family member or a friend and let them know, Hey, this is the planning I've done. This is what's important to me so that they're not trying to figure out when you're not here, what they need to do first. Um, So if you haven't had that conversation with your important person that you would want to be in charge when you're not here, you need to have them sit down with you and your financial advisor or your attorney that's done the planning for you and make sure that they're aware of how things are supposed to happen. That sounds like the ideal scenario, and I, I think we should all, you know, make it a point to do that. Mm-hmm. But I think so often we, we tend to put these things off or maybe neglect it, and then 
uh, you know, a crisis happens and then we're, we're kind of thrusted into this. So for, for those who experience that, you know, what, what are the main things that we need to keep in mind with an estate plan when we're, we're suddenly we're presented with a, a scenario that we, we were not foreseeing? Right. So I think it's really important to, number one, you've got to find the documentation if, and find out if there was. And typically those can be recorded um, if there was some planning done. Typically, typically it's recorded. And then you want to make sure that you find out where all the accounts are and you want to, you know, get with an attorney to help you make sure that you're processing the estate the way that it should be done. Because that can be a very lengthy process and it's one that you don't want to do incorrectly. So you, I would definitely advise the help of a professional um, to get through that. Mm-hmm. Well, Claren, if folks are looking to find more information about you, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Sure, sure. So I have a website. You can Google uh, Edward Jones, Claren Engelbreath, and my name should pop up. And all of our, our address, our office hours, and our contact information is there. Would love to have a conversation with anybody that's looking just to get some advice on where do I start because every person is different and every situation is different. So happy to help however I can. Wonderful. Again, she is Claren Engelbreath. If you want to find more information about her, just Google Edward Jones, Claren Engelbreath, and you'll find more. She's a financial advisor and mother of four boys, and we really appreciate her time today. Claren, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, we are out of time for today. We appreciate you joining us, and we hope that you uh, have a wonderful New Year's Day and a wonderful 2022 as well. We hope you'll join us again next week. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Have a wonderful day. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.